The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor-teacher, Harry Reeder. If you're able, please remain standing for the reading of our God's Word. This reading that is to be read in your hearing is from Ephesians chapter 2. If you'll turn there and make your way to verse 19. Look with me in Ephesians 2 and verse 19. So, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The grass withers, the flower fades, but God's word abides forever by his grace and mercy. May his word be preached for you. Please be seated. Apostles' Creed, essentials of the faith, distilled by those who had been discipled by the apostles, called the Apostles' Creed because it is a distillation of the apostolic writing in the New Testament of New Testament Christianity and how Christ is our Redeemer and the fulfillment of all of the Old Covenant promises. It's laid out Trinitarian. The first paragraph is the Father, Creator of heaven and earth, Almighty. Then comes the Son of God. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. Then comes the third Section, I believe in the Holy Spirit that we began last week. Now, whenever I preach on the Apostles' Creed, as I've mentioned one other sermon, I am fully assured two p- people are going to come to me about two phrases of the affirmations in the Apostles' Creed. One of them we've already addressed. Harry, why does it say he descended into hell? Did not Jesus bear all the hell, all the wrath of God that was due for all the sins of all of his people on the cross? Yes. Well, what does that mean that he descended into hell? Well, to answer that, I first of all had to take you back to the original Apostles' Creed. And the word there is the Greek word Hades, uh, that he was crucified, dead, and buried, and he descended into Hades. Now, what is Hades? Well, that's the New Testament word for the Old Testament word, Sheol. It is the intermediate state of those who have died. (coughs) It has two dimensions. It has a dimension of blessing, enjoying the presence of the Lord, which is also called paradise or Abraham's bosom. That's why Jesus said, knowing that his soul was to go to Hades. That's why Jesus said to the criminal, this day you will be with me. Where? In Hades. But what part? The part and dimension of blessing, Abraham's bosom or paradise, as it is called. 
But the souls of unbelievers, uh, they go to that section or dimension of Hades called the abyss, the place of torment. The intermediate state. Now, our, our state of blessing is glorious. Absent from the body is present with the Lord. If I make my bed in Hades, behold, thou art there. So we are with the Lord with great bless. But it is not our final state. The body is yet to be raised, united with the spirit, and we will be in a new heavens and a new earth in the final state after the coming of Christ. Nor is the intermediate state for believers, though torment, the final torment after the judgment with a resurrected body and soul, they will be cast into the lake of fire. Unfortunately, our, our brevity and incompetence and inadequacy of our English language fastens the word hell to both that Hades um, word as well as the Gehenna, the final state. But when you go to the Bible and understand this temporary state of Hades has a torment, but also a blessing. So the question is, when Jesus comes, he's fully man, right? Hello? Yeah. Fully God, fully man, right? Amen. Okay. Thank you. Amen goes right there. Okay. I love Presbyterians. They'll do amen. You just have to tell them when and where. That's all. So amen goes right there. So therefore, he had a human death. And what is a human death? Separation of the soul from the body. So where did his body go? Buried. Crucified, dead, and buried. Where does his soul go? Psalm 16's already told you. It goes to, his soul goes to Sheol, or Hades. And that place of blessing in Hades. And then what does the psalm say? I will not abandon your soul to Hades, nor your body to corruption. So though he is under the power of death for three days, on the third day, his soul comes forth from Sheol, his body from the tomb, united. He ministers in that glorified body for 40 days. He is ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And from there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. And then we will have a new heavens and a new earth and those against Christ in that place of everlasting judgment. So that's one phrase that's dealt with. It's very important to understand why the apostles put it there, honoring the reality of the true death of Jesus in his humanity and the fulfillment of the scriptures and also becomes a comfort for us because we know he will be present with us and we will be with him in the intermediate state. But it's not the final state. But the other one I always get is this. Okay, Pastor, now wait just a minute. This is this is a Bible believing Presbyterian church committed to the Reformed faith. What are we doing with a creed that says Holy Catholic Church? What are we doing? And uh, so I could start by saying it's not capital C, it's small c. And then I could go to the fact we've been confessing this hundreds of years before there was a Roman Catholic Church. Because it was in the original creed. And so um, I could begin there, but I actually want to go a little bit deeper with you on this one. And I want us to understand it. Our confession gives us some insight. Other passages of Scripture will help us. But I think this one that I just read is a good place for me to start this morning. 
So your creed is in Trinitarian form. You father, the son. Now we're at the section of the Holy Spirit. You know, there's a new phrase in our society today. You know, when I used to show up for work and when you went to school, did you get your homework done? Today, I've heard a new phrase that is used and it's called our work product. I just love that phrase. I mean, I actually kind of like that phrase, our work product. The people that, the people that uh, you know, work for you, did you get your work product done? And that's a work product. Well, here's where we are. We are in a section of the creed that is the work product of the Holy Spirit sent by Jesus, who was sent by the Father. What is the work? What did the Father do? He sends his son. You see his humiliation? I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, conceived by the Holy Spirit, humiliation, born of the Virgin Mary, humiliation, suffered under Pontius Pilate, humiliation, crucified, humiliation, dead, atoning death, humiliation, buried, humiliation, descended into Hades, his soul, humiliation. Now comes exaltation. On the third day, he arose. Then he ascended into heaven for his coronation. From there he gives gifts to men. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. But until he comes, he gives gifts to men. And that primary gift he gives is the Holy Spirit and his work product. What is the very first work product? The testimony in this world of the Holy Catholic Church. Now, that's not all this work part, because in that Holy Catholic Church is going to be something called the communion of the saints. And we've got, that Holy Catholic Church has got a message called forgiveness of sins. And that Holy Catholic Church has got a future, the resurrection of the dead. And that Holy Catholic Church shall never perish, life eternal. And then, amen. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the forgiveness of sins, resurrection of the body, the life everlasting. <laughs> You're still not there. I mean, I'm trying. Lord, I'm trying. Would you help him? Lord, help him. Of course, you're out there praying, Lord, help him. So, um, amen. Amen. Those are those essential truths that are true only because of our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And now we're looking at this work product of the work of, of the Holy Spirit bringing the testimony of the Holy Catholic Church. And many, many passages of Scripture. I've just picked this one. Would you walk through it with me very briefly? Look at what he says in verse 19. So then, in other words, all that's gone before, he has told us of Christ who purchased the church with his own blood. Christ who has called his people from all the nations. Christ who forgives us. Christ who clothes us with with his righteousness. Christ who forgives us of our sins and removes it by his shed blood. Christ who gives the Holy Spirit. They're all of the blessings of the risen King who has died for our sins. So, in light of all of this, I want you to know something. And that's this. It's given in the negative. You are no longer strangers and aliens. No longer. Which tells you what? Before you got converted, what were you? You were a stranger to the commonwealth of God, to the kingdom of God. You're in the kingdom of darkness. You're under the dominion of darkness, sin, death, hell. That's where you were. You were strangers. You were aliens. 
but no longer. No longer. Let me tell you what you are because of the Father who sent the Son, who sent the Spirit. You are, he says two things to you. You are fellow citizens. And you are members of the household of God. You are fellow citizens. You see, I have a penultimate allegiance nationally. It's to the United States of America. But I have an ultimate allegiance. And it's the kingdom of God. Where I eagerly await for my Savior. That doesn't mean I'm irresponsible as a Christian citizen. No, I'm going to be engaged. I'm going to be fully engaged. I'm going to do all that the Bible tells me to do. And what is a Christian citizen to do for the, for the work of the kingdom? I'm going to do all of that by God's grace and for his glory. But I know, I mean, we're, did y'all know this was an election year? It is. Yeah, just in case you didn't know. Should you be engaged? Yeah. Do I believe you ought to vote? Yeah, I'm going to do a sermon on a Sunday night, hopefully, uh, to try to lay out the Christian's approach to things like this. And um, um, and I believe you ought to be engaged. You ought to be in prayer. You ought to be participating. You ought to be doing all of that. But I don't I do not know. I have no word who's going to get elected. But I can tell you who's king the next day. And I tell you who's the king of my kingdom that I'm in. And that's Jesus. And I can tell you he is still working. I can tell you that, and I can tell you my citizenship is still in the kingdom of God. I may get run out of this kingdom, but I know I've got a citizenship in the kingdom of God, and it's the same king who came and died for me, who is risen, and all authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. And he's got a perfect plan, and I've got a, I've got a confidence in him that I'm asking him to keep perfecting in me. I am a member of the kingdom. We are now no longer strangers in there. We're citizens of the kingdom of God. You don't even have a green card. You got a citizenship papers in the kingdom of God. That's where you belong. You belong to him. We're strangers in this world. We're pilgrims in this world making progress. That sounds like a good book. And so we're pilgrims in this world making progress, but we are citizens in the kingdom of God. That's where we are. We reside in that kingdom. It is not yet in its fullness, but it is now. It is now, even though not yet in its fullness. It won't be in its fullness till the king gets back. And the king sets up his kingdom in the new heavens and the new earth. But it is here, and I am a citizen. But I'm not only a citizen, I am a member of the household of God. Brothers and sisters, Sisters, in this text that I just read for you is th- is actually um, three of the metaphors in the New Testament to describe Christ's church. Christ's church, as it comes to its fullness in the New Testament, has multiple word pictures, multiple metaphors that describe the church. And those multiple metaphors that describe the church... Oh, things like the bride of Christ, uh, the field of God, uh, the building of God, uh, the flock of God. There, uh, I've counted ten metaphors for the church. And the reason you have so many is because the church of Christ is multidimensional in its impact, its influence, and has, even in its singular calling, has multiple consequences and multiple blessings. So it is multifaceted in the word pictures that are used to describe it. And some of them are right in this text. Number one, this church is called the household of God. 
Number two, it's called the temple of God in this text. And I believe with those two explicit word pictures is another one. If I went over to your house today and I asked you, I said, is this your house? And you said, yes, sir. Uh, and I said, well, who lives in your house? What would you answer? You would answer me. Oh, I live here. And what else would you say? And my family. So explicitly, the church is called the household of God. Implicitly, it's also being called the family of God. Because that's who's in the household. Brothers and sisters. God our Father. We are in the household of God as the family of God. And this is the church of God. It is seen as the temple of God. It is seen as the family of God. It is seen as the household of God. Three of those multiple word pictures are right there for you to look at the church. And we are members, just like I'm a member of a family. I'm a member of the family of God and that I am a part of it. And notice it says join together. I mean, we just saw it today, didn't we? We just saw this worked out as believers who are enrolled in the Holy Catholic Church, now in a local church, joined Together, members of one another in testimony of the grace of God. So here is this church. Now look at it with me just a little bit closer, if you would. So then we are no longer strangers, but we are members of the household of God. And this temple or this house is what? Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. All right. Stop right there. So now he says, let me just try to flesh this out. So here's the household. Here's the temple of God. And these, this structure is the structure of Christ's church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So if I could transport you back to the first century, if I could take you back to the first century and you said, you know, I'm getting married and I, I got some kids and now I'm married. I got some kids and I'm going to we're going to build a house. Let me tell you what you didn't need to do. You didn't need to call a contractor. You didn't need to call a contractor at all. All you had to do is get a piece of land. And all the building material you need for your house will be on that land in Israel. It's called rocks. Everywhere you go, there's plenty of them. You buy a piece of land, you got rocks. But let me tell you what you would have done in the first century. You would have found a large, immovable, embedded rock, hopefully on a little bit of a, uh, of a slant of the ground. And that big old rock, you would have looked at it, and then you would have gone and got some other big rocks that are movable, not embedded. And you would have brought them, and you would have started stacking them against that embedded rock until you got it as long as you wanted it. Then you'd go get some more, and you'd stack it on the other side, and you'd work perpendicular to it, and you'd work all the way down. Don't want to go too far. And we'll work all the way down. Then you'd go get some more. And you'd work against these. And then you'd build some that were, were this way. And you'd work there. And all of a sudden, you've got these rocks that are leaning on the what? And these rocks are leaning on the what? Cornerstone. So here is the foundation. 
prophets and apostles, Old Testament and New Testament. The Old Testament pointing to Christ, the New Testament explaining Christ. Here's the foundation of God's church, and it all rests on the preeminence of Christ as creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Everything rests right there. And that's how the church is built. That's why when you go looking for churches or you're trying to be a part of a church, the church says, Word of God. That's the foundation. And the Word of God rightly dealt with in the power of the Spirit of God will exalt Christ to the praise of the Father. And that's what you're always looking at in this church. Then it says what? That this is, that all of this is being built together. That all of this is being built together in the Lord. So we are, go back to verse, uh, go back to verse 21. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus, the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a, there's our other picture, a, there's our word, holy, a holy temple in the Lord. In him also, you are being built together. You are being built together into a dwelling place of God by the Spirit. What's interesting about a household is you got a family. What's interesting about the temple? Preaching, teaching, a house of prayer. And what made the temple so special? God was there. The Holy of Holies. Jesus is the fulfillment of the temple. And in the New Testament, he says, I'm making you a temple and my church is the temple of my dwelling place. There I dwell. Now, is the Holy Spirit at work everywhere? Yes. But a special redemptive sealing working presence of the Holy Spirit to exalt Christ. The Holy Spirit didn't come to bring attention to himself. We learned that last week. He came to bring us to utter dependence upon Jesus. That Jesus is everything. So that's the picture that's being given to us. And that and other texts, such as I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail again, become so crucial as this apostolic statement is being put together and compiled. And out of that, in the Apostles' Creed, with an economy of words, they say this. I believe in the church. There's the noun. Then two adjectives. That church is holy and that church is Catholic. I believe in the holy Catholic church. Now walk with us. Work from the noun to the adjectives. So here's the church. What about the church? In your Bible... There are three words translated with one English word called church. The number one word that's used is this word. Ecclesia. Ecclesia. Ek means out of, from. Kaleo. Ecclesia. Kaleo means called. So what is the church? Now watch. It consists of the called out from ones. We are the called out of sin, Satan, darkness, sin, we, uh, uh, the power of darkness, the kingdom of darkness. We've been called out of that to 
Christ. We've been called ek out of, from, called from sin to, now watch, to Christ together. Called out of sin to Christ together. And then to build on that together, there's another word for church in your Bible. Synagogue. Sounds like synagogue, right? It means the assembled ones, the congregated ones, the congregation of the Lord. That's what it refers to. That those who, now watch, those who have been called out from to Christ to gather, assemble together. They're the congregate. They're the synagogue. You don't have to go look for them. They are saved personally, but they don't live individually. They live together in the family, in the congregation of the Lord. They are the called together ones in the Lord. The synagogue. You see, the kingdom and the church are not the same. The church is at the core of the kingdom. It's the embassy of the kingdom. It's the equipping center of the kingdom, but it's not the kingdom. Can I give you an illustration? Let's say you went out and started a business and you're a Christian. Would you want that business to be a part of God's kingdom work? Please say yes. Thank you. Don't say no. Please don't say no. Say yes. Yes, I do. That's what I want it to be. Which means you want to have a business to give people work. You want to do a product that honors the Lord. You want to do it in a way to honor the Lord. You want your business to show the ethics of the kingdom of God as the constitution of the kingdom and the Sermon on the Mount talks about it. That would be the culture of your business. You're extending the kingdom. But Briarwood doesn't own your business. Not at all. Your home is there to extend the kingdom of God. But Briarwood doesn't own your home. But let me tell you what the Briarwood, as a testimony of Christ's church, is here to do. To equip you. So that you can extend the kingdom. To disciple you with the whole counsel of God. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So you can extend, expand, enlarge the kingdom. But what is the church? It's the family of God. It's the place where God has put his redemptive presence to be at work, to nurture the citizens of the kingdom through discipleship, to win them through evangelism, to equip them to worship so that their own mission, own message in the ministry of worship, in the ministry of evangelism, in the ministry of discipleship, that they're doing all that. And they know how to be salt and light for the kingdom when they go out into the world. That's what a local church does as a manifestation of Christ's church. It's an embassy and equipping center. It's the family of God for refuge and encouragement, nurture and nourishment. All of those things. That's what it does. And that's what it exists to do. And it does it by being together. Families are together. Husbands, dwell with your wife. Don't break covenant. Dwell with understanding and honor. Fathers and mothers, you raise up your children. 
That's what's supposed to be happening in the church is the family of God, the household of God, the temple of God, where his redemptive presence. Can I give you one more word? It's the word crick, crick. And it got in Scotland. It became the word for the church. It was the building. But uh, the building isn't the church. But yet the church is being built up as living stones. Now, y'all remember your, your first grade Sunday school teacher, right? Okay. Uh, Ike. <laughs> I still remember it. Ike. Now, follow me. This is the church. This is the... Did y'all have her? Open the door and there's the people. Okay. I don't want to jump all over it, but actually... The church isn't the building. In fact, 150 years ago in a Presbyterian church, you'd have never heard a Presbyterian church called in the building church. You'd have called, what would they have called it? The meeting place of the church. And I, I kind of do that. I've got this kind of unsanctified streak in me. My wife says it's sarcasm. I try to convince her it's actually dry wit. And uh, so this guy says to me one time, he says, Pastor... Um, I thought you were a California preacher, but I found out you're here. I want to come visit. The, I've been listening. I want to come visit you this Sunday. Where's your church? I said, I, I don't know. He said, well, how do you expect me to be able to visit the church if the pastor doesn't even know where it is? I said, oh, you want to know where the church I pastor meets? Oh, that's 2200 Briarwood Way, which probably doesn't help you too much either. But, uh, yeah, this is where we meet. I, I don't know where my church is. Some of it's on an airplane. Some of it's on a football team. Some of it's in a classroom. Some of it's at, it's at the mall. Some of it is over here. Some of it's over there. I don't know where it is. It's scattered. And then on the Lord's Day, we will gather to worship and encourage one another in the Lord. That's what we'll do. We'll soon go gay as the church, the Kirk, the Kirk of Christ. Well, it's not only the church, but then he says the church is, then he gives the first adjective, the church is Catholic. Now, don't, listen, can I say this again? There was no organization called capital R, Roman, capital C, Catholic Church when this was written. It is, the word Catholic is a transliteration of two Greek words. And the Greek words are kataholios, kataholios. Kata holios. Kata according to. Holios. I mean, you hear a word there, don't you? Whole. One. Universal. That's the word. It is the, and we get the word, that transliteration. Kata holios becomes Catholic. Catholic. That's how we get it. It means universal. We try to help that out when we do the Apostles' Creed with a little footnote. Universal. But it's actually just a transliteration of the Greek words that were in the Apostles' Creed. We are the church that is exists as one. That's why this is so important. We don't want to be a provincial arrogant cult. Praise God for the church the manifestation of the universal church that met in Washington to pray together. 
Praise God when they come together to do evangelistic crusades. All of the gifts and blessings and fullness of God is not in any one person or in any one church. The fullness of God is in the body of Christ. A local church is not the body of Christ. It is a manifestation of the body of Christ. So we need one another, even outside of the membership role of a local church. Not all the gifts are there. Not all the graces are there. You have a measure of God's blessings. And that's why we enjoy bringing in people from other churches to preach and to encourage and to train and join with them and do things together in the Lord. And that's why we are joined together with other churches of like precious faith in a presbytery and in a general assembly as we try to manifest it organizationally. But the key is that you confess it accurately, that it is one Catholic church, universal church. It is now follow me closely. What he's referring to is the church that Christ purchased with his own blood. It is from every tribe, every nation, from every generation. It consists of the elect of God, past, present, and future. It consists of all whom God has called to himself. It is the elect of God. This church is invisible. This church in heaven is triumphant. This church is holy and pure. It is reflected in this world with local churches, which are not pure, which have mixed unbelievers within them who are here to do the work of that holy Catholic Church but are not equated to it but manifested in this world and are precious but this church holy apostolic church is the elect of God from every nation every tribe from all eternity, Old Testament, New Testament, uh, post-New Testament. It consists of all of the elect of God, and they will normally manifest themselves by saving faith in Christ. It is that church, and it is holy. It, it, that means unique, one of a kind. Certainly, it pursues holiness, but is unique. Do you know why this church exists? Because of God the Father. Who is holy, who sent his son to save us, who is the Holy One of Israel, who sent the Holy Spirit and the one who bought us, sent the Holy Spirit who brought us and resides within us. That makes it that makes his holy church of the elect of God. That makes us unique in him and as it is working out its purposes imperfectly in this world. It has a holy mission. Nobody else has it. Brothers and sisters, listen to me, please. There is one institution in this world that's headed to a new heavens and a new earth. And that's the church. Marriage won't be the same. I think it'll be better. My, did y'all hear my wife say amen? Family. Will be different, better. Nations, uh, townships, businesses, 
the one institution in this world is the church ordained by the Father, bought by the blood of Jesus, brought by the Spirit of God, and sent to glory, to the glory of God. His church. When I was in college, I struggled greatly. What was I going to do with my life? I was raised in a church where actually our family, I'm not name dropping, but our family was, my granddaddy was on the Graham team. And um, great respect. I saw this itinerant ministry. And when I was coming through college and seminary, it seemed like everybody with gifts were going to parachurch ministries. But I kept looking at the Bible and it just didn't set with me. I kept looking at the church. I knew I was called to give, pastor and lead and shepherd and teach and preach. And you had that siren call of an itinerant ministry. <laughs> That siren call of, you know, a parachurch, and it's, I don't have to worry about the people that are problems. I just got the people that are with me. But I kept seeing what the Bible said. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Elders, shepherd the flock of God. The church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And I saw how holy and sacred. Met a guy named Frank Parker, churchman. Met a guy named Jim Boyce, churchman. Met a guy named Al Martin, churchman. Henry Cravendam, churchman. I kept finding all these guys that became mentors in my life, churchmen. And they just shared with me that I want to love what Christ has loved. It's not going to be easy. But be committed. His holy Catholic Church. We're not a social organization, although we do social things. We're not the state. We're the church with a great commission to build a culture in this church that reaches every culture. Whatever the ethnicity is that is in within reach of the church, we ought to be reaching it by building a culture. What is the culture? It's called the Great Commandment. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what, ought to, that's what ought to pulsate in a church, fulfilling the Great Commission. A Great Commission with a Great Commandment culture and a great commitment to the glory of God. That's what He's called us to be and that's what He's called us to do. It is Christ, church, Catholic, universal, triumphant, invisible, holy, and it is manifested in this world with its imperfections. In local churches until Christ comes again. So what's the takeaway? Let me give you the takeaway and then we'll close in prayer. I'm, and I'm out of town, so let me just give it to you. Because true Christians believe in the invisible and triumphant holy Catholic church, singular. We intentionally, because we believe that, then we intentionally commit ourselves and our families. Do you keep reading the scripture? They were baptized, them and their household, and added to the church.
We intentionally commit ourselves and our families to the visible and militant. The Holy Catholic Church is triumphant, and it is enrolled of the saints in heaven, perfected, and the elect of God belong to it with all of its purity. But in this local church, we are militant. We are in a war. Jesus has won the war, but we are in the battles. Every Lord's Day is a battle. Every Lord's Day. Satan does not want people to prioritize the Sunagoge, the gathering of God's people for worship and praise. He does not. He hates that more than anything. Our, uh, let me use the word penultimate again. Our penultimate is the Great Commission. But the ultimate blessing of being saved is to do what the church triumphant is doing for all eternity. To assemble before the Lord God and give Him praise and glory and honor. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And Satan will do anything to stop us when we scatter from being on mission, on message, and in ministry, and he'll do everything he can to stop us from assembling and gathering before the Lord. But what do God's people do? They intentionally commit themselves and their families to the visible and the spiritual warfare of being a militant church, all reliant upon the grace of God, all done for the glory of God, and our desire is to extend the kingdom of God. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to be very careful on this. I know we're in a pandemic. I know that, and I understand providential hindrance. And I'm so grateful for the means that we have when people are in vulnerable situations and are our need to protect themselves and all of that. I understand all that. I Hopefully you have seen in the last five months our desire to be uh, prudent uh, without being fearful. Hopefully that's evident before you, but I've got to make this as clear as I can. I, I'm thankful for live streaming. I'm thankful for Zooming. Well, I'm, I don't know whether I'm thankful for Zooming or not. I just hate, you know, just take me out shoot me or something. Zoom is killing me. But I'm thankful for all of the technology God has given. But those are facsimiles. They are not substitutes for the assembly of God's people in worship with the means of grace, pastoral preaching, pastoral preaching that it's not just seen and heard and downloaded. Praise God for that. I praise. Listen, did you hear me? I praise God for that. And I'm grateful to protect vulnerable people. And I understand providential hindrance. Did y'all get that? Do not misquote me. But it is not the same as the assembled people of God in the word of God together with the spirit of God at work, encouraging one another. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, encouraging one another, assembling together to encourage one another all the more as you see the day of the Lord coming. And there is nothing like seeing the person weeping and going to them, seeing the people rejoicing and going to them, seeing the preaching as it comes person to person, eyeball to eyeball, face to face. And there's nothing like speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Nothing's like it. And I rejoice that we can do these things in moments like this present distress. But I am so deeply concerned that people think hearing a lecture through technology is the same thing as gathering to hear Jesus by the Spirit speak in the gathered assembly of his people. It is not the same. It is not the same. So what I would say to you 
You just realize when the apostles wanted to talk to Christians, they sent a letter. And when they sent the letter to reach the saints, they didn't send it to who it may concern. They sent it to the church. To the saints in Philippi. At the church of Philippi. Baptized believers in their households added to the church, not forsaking the assembling of themselves and gathering and then going out and scattering to the glory of God. Holy on mission, on message in ministry. Filled with the Holy Spirit, mid toil and tribulation and tumult of her wars, she waits the consummation and rejoices in the communion of the saints. You become a part, not by coming to a local church, but by coming to Christ and then being a part, joining together members one another. As the testimony of your enrollment in the Holy Catholic Church. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church invisible and triumphant. Therefore, I am committed to the visible church militant. You know, sometimes people will say, now, who's a member of your church? You know, somebody comes to you, you got a Briarwood? Who's a member? Well, my, Harry Reader's my pastor. And they might say, well, buddy, I'm going to pray for you. Well, Frank Barker used to be our pastor. Oh, well, praise the Lord. Amen. Uh, then you start naming some people. Can I tell you some people you can name? They've got people sitting in these three services that were addicted to sexuality, and they came just as they were to Jesus. He forgave them and changed them. They were addicted to this, addicted to that. They were the idolatry of self expressed in the addictions of sin. But they came to Jesus. They're part of the Holy Catholic Church. And praise God, we get to nurture each one another right here. Pastor, that's where I've been. You don't know where I've been. Oh, I listen, I know where I was. And I don't want to compare resumes. I'm just telling you. <laughs> The same Jesus that got a hold of me can get a hold of you. And don't go get cleaned up. Jesus loves to fish for men. You don't clean fish uh, and then catch them. You catch them and clean them. He'll, he'll take you right where you are and never leave you where you are. But you come on. And you can be a member of a local church, praise the Lord. But more importantly, when you're in Jesus, you're a member of the Holy Catholic Church. And you know who's in that church? <laughs> can I give you some names? So, well, yeah, I'm a member of my church. Um, yeah, I just I came to Jesus and I'm a part of the triumphant, invisible, holy Catholic church. All of those called out and called together in Jesus Christ, assembled from all ages, all nations for all time. And Jesus loses not one. Oh, yeah. Members. Yeah. Uh, John Calvin's a member of my church. John Wesley's a member of my church. George Whitfield's a member of my church. St. Augustine's a member of my church. King David's a member of my church. Abel is a member of my church. It's Christ's church. Holy. Universal. In him, by him, and for him. 
If you haven't come, I plead with you to come. I'd be more than happy to meet with you. But come to Jesus. Let's pray. Let's just take a few moments in silent prayer, would you? Please know that I am, uh, I am available if you've not come to Christ. That's who I invite you to. It's a holy Catholic church because you're in Jesus and Jesus is in you by his spirit. His blood covers you. His righteousness clothes you. Just come to him. And then the great joy of being members of, with one another to grow in him together. But you come. Father, would you help us to rejoice and be able to say, I believe in Christ's church. Blood bought, spirit brought. I believe. In the holy. Universal Catholic Church. Thank you for all whom you've saved that are in it. And you lose not one. It is triumphant. Enrolled in the assembly of the saints for heaven. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reader, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reader, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.